Let us turn to our Bibles in Luke chapter 6. We'll be examining verses 37 and 42. When you came in the church this morning, someone should have greeted you, not just with a smile and a hello, but also a bulletin with an insert. If you want to follow along in today's teaching, you're more than welcome to do so. And today's scripture reading for the preaching of the word is again from Luke chapter 6, starting in verse 37. Please do stand for the reading of God's word. Hear ye this morning the word of the Lord. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. He also told them a parable. How can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? The disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take out the speck, let me take out the speck that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye. Then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Let's pray together. Father, we do approach you this morning. Hearts filled with gratitude for thy goodness and thy grace that runneth over into our lives. Father, we also come acknowledging, Lord, that life in this world, in this time of eternity, is not perfect. Far from it, Lord. There are many here in our midst suffering from illnesses, from trials and troubles, from tribulations and things that have been inflicted on our souls. Lord, we pray, God, for the comfort of thy people. We pray, Lord, for the proclamation of the gospel to go far and wide in this place, in the hearts of these people. Lord, so they too may now take these words that are about to be preached, live them out in such an exemplary way, and preach them to a world that is hurting and in need of good news. Father, we pray that you'd grant us, even now, ears to hear what you have laid before us this morning for the glory of your name, the advancement of your kingdom, and all to the praise and glory of the true and triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It is in Christ's mighty name that we do pray. Amen. What an interesting text we find ourselves in today. We've been going through this journey in Luke's gospel. We're at the point in which we are examining the famous Sermon of the Mount. And the Sermon of the Mount is, without a doubt, the most famous sermon ever preached by the most famous man that has ever lived, Jesus Christ. Jesus is unlike anyone who has ever lived in human history. Our calendar is indeed marked by his life and his death. All that we do as a people, as a culture, truly centers around one person in history, and it is Jesus Christ. And in his great sermon, he preaches these words. He says in verse 37 again, Judge not, and you will not be judged. Now, of the Sermon of the Mount, this is probably amongst one of the most quoted texts of this great sermon. And it's usually the most quoted, not by believers, 
Not by both those in the church, but usually by those outside the church. We're here in California. Maybe you know of a once great rapper named Tupac. Anyone ever heard of Tupac before? All right, we're not going to sing any of his songs right now, but I'm glad that you know who he is. And Tupac had a famous saying. He says, and in fact, I've seen this printed on many shirts, only God can judge me. Only God can judge me. Kind of paraphrase from this, judge not and you will not be judged. Because who in their right mind likes to be judged? No one. It's not a human impulse to want to be judged, to want to be examined, to want to have your life under a microscope so that everyone can pick at you and tell you what's wrong about you, what you've done wrong, and, and, and why you shouldn't do this and why you should do that. No one wants to live under that type of microscope. And so these words of Jesus may sound comforting when he says, judge not and you will not be judged. Sounds pretty simple. Sounds pretty clean. Sounds pretty clear cut. Only, essentially, at the end of it, only God can judge me. And there is a sense in which that is of definitive truth. That at the end of all things, at the end of every human trial, at the end of every human judgment, stands the true judgment of us all. The judgment that will stand on the final day when we stand before our Maker and we give an account to Him for that which we have done in the body, whether good or evil. And He shall judge righteously, and He shall judge rightly in all ways and all matters. But what is the heart and intent of this message from Jesus Christ? When He implores us to judge not. Is He saying that judging of any kind is to be totally dismissed? Is he telling us people not to be a people of judgment or discernment? No, by no means is that what our Lord is imploring us to do. But instead, in the phrase, judge not, we are reminded of this. If you're following in the notes this morning, please write this in. Judge not reminds us that we reap what we sow in the amount that we sow. Hearkening and reminding us of what is said in Galatians chapter 6. I'm going to turn there for a moment. You're welcome to join also in Galatians chapter 6. In verse 7 through 9, notice what the Apostle Paul says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will reap the flesh uh, from, will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will, reap, will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Let us not grow weary of doing what is good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Paul is here declaring and reminding us that what we, what we sow, what we put into the ground, what we put into our lives, what we put into our walk, what we put into our marriages, what we put into our work are the things that we're going to reap. That's going to be the reward. We will get ultimately what we put into things. Notice in today's culture, for instance, and in the work culture and our work life, many possibly of my own generation, feel like, you know what, I'm not paid enough to do all these things, so I'm just going to do the bare minimum because they're paying me the bare minimum. Well, possibly it could be when we do the bare minimum, we reap the bare minimum. There's a principle at work here. If we only do just enough to get by, we will only ever just get by. 
we will reap what we sow. And so God's word is imploring us, it's reminding us that in, when Christ is calling us not to be a people of judgment, what he's reminding us is that actually what we reap, what we sow, is what we will get back. So therefore, what is actually being uh, uh, exalted here is the pr spiritual principle of getting what you put into things. Jesus is not by any means ruling out legitimate forms of judgment, such as in a court, church discipline, or a general use of discernment. Rather, he is calling his followers to stop unfair criticism and finding faults with each other. Now, let's be honest. One of the reasons why the world looks at the church and says, nah, I don't want that. I don't want to be part of that club is because often they have found and have heard and have seen that within God's own people, within God's own church, we tend to point the finger at each other a lot. We find faults with each other. We judge each other. And the Bible is reminding us not that judgment is wrong or bad. Rather, in Scripture, we are commanded to judge rightly. We are commanded and called to rightly discern things. But he's reminding us in the spirit of humility to judge in a way that is just, in a way that is fair, that you're also not just taking into account one's sin or one's fault, but also your own. Because it's real easy to sit as a judge when you see someone else sinning, when you see someone else is at fault. But remember to examine your own life, your own walk. What are you sowing? What are you reaping in your spiritual walk with Jesus Christ? When we judge that is to discern. We are called to, in fact, judge and discern. We must go past the superficial and exterior, in the exterior appearances of things and go to the heart of the matter. I want to read to you what Jesus says on this principle in John chapter 7 for a moment. In John chapter 7, verse 24. What is said of Jesus here. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats seeking, uh, and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. I think I, I gave you the, the wrong quotation here. But what we find here of interest from Christ, brothers and sisters, actually, no, actually, I, I read the wrong scripture from chapter 6. Verse 20, verse, chapter 7. See, the pastor makes mistakes. Don't judge me now. Pastor makes mistakes too. John chapter 7, verse 24. This is what it is said by our Lord Jesus. Do not judge by appearances. Don't judge by appearances. Appearances can be deceiving, brothers and sisters. Notice what he says, but judge. So he says don't judge. He says judge with what? With right or righteous judgment. Judge rightly. You see, when we judge, when we take upon that prerogative, we are taking a great responsibility when we are examining one's life and saying this is right, this is wrong, we are taking upon ourselves a great responsibility. Therefore, Jesus is reminding us by what spirit we are to approach this great matter. Not that it is to be not done or excluded, but rather when we approach this matter of judging, when we approach this matter of discernment, that we do it not by the outward appearances, but in fact with right judgment, so that it may be true that we may in fact be a people that is uh, discerning what is right and true and good and wholesome, but doing so in a way that honors God by going past the exterior and to the heart 
of the matter. For the heart of the matter is usually the issue of the heart. The heart of things. And notice what it says in our main text again. In verse 37, verse 38. Judge not, you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Do you see the principles at play here? What you put in is what you get. If you judge unfairly, you'll be judged unfairly. If you condemn, you may be condemned. If you forgive, however, you will be forgiven. It is an exaltation of the things that you are putting into your life, into your walk, is what you will get out of it. What you sow is what you shall reap. Verse 38, give, and it will be given to you. So if you give, if you have a life of selflessness and you are giving, the Scripture says that you should expect to receive. For the spiritual principles at work and at play here. And then this great word from Christ here that, 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 that just sounds so good when you read it. It says, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, we put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. What an interesting thing. What an interesting word we were given here. But notice the emphasis that I want to point out to you in just this moment. Forgive and you will be forgiven. You see, it's easy to be quick to judge. It's hard to be quick to forgive. Because when we are offended, when we're hurt, when we're bothered by something, it's easy to have that, 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 that righteous indignation, rightly or wrongly, and point the finger. But when we are called to forgive, that finger gets pointed right back. And the responsibility is now yours. To say, I'm going I'm to hold this grudge. I'm going to hold this hatred. I'm going to hold this malice. Or I'm going to choose a better path. A path that is harder, that is more difficult, but one that is ultimately of more blessing. To forgive. Because when we judge and we look outward, we forget that we too are sinners in need of forgiveness. Are you willing to offer the same grace that you've received by our Lord? I don't think many of us know just how bad we are. You see, again, it's easy to find fault in our brothers. It's easy to find fault in others. But brethren, remember this. You are a sinner. In our fallen state in Adam, apart from the grace of Christ, we're lost, desperately lost hopelessly lost even. There is no hope for us apart from Christ. The Bible says this of, us, of our spiritual state apart from Jesus, that we were once dead in our trespasses and sins. Have you ever been to a funeral? We've gone to funerals. We see the body. We mourn. We weep. And no amount of mourning, no amount of weeping, no amount of wishing can bring that person back. And that was you. Spiritually speaking, you were hopelessly in the grave, spiritually. But Christ made us alive in himself, raised us up with him, seated us at his right hand, and he's given us this grace in which we now stand. 
That's grace. That's the power. You have been forgiven much, much. When I used to live in Edmonton in Canada, we would have around this time of the year a festival. Edmonton is known as the City of Festivals. And it's a city of about a million people. And in the downtown square, they would have this big festival called the Taste of Edmonton, where they'd have all these local vendors and people uh, coming and uh, enjoying all the food and the different flavors of the city. Wonderful event. Uh, as a program coordinator for our men's recovery group up there in, in, in Canada, uh, I would bring our men who are in Christian recovery program to help facilitate the cleaning of the grounds for this event. And at its peak on its most busy day, uh, it is so busy at that um, function that people literally are shoulder to shoulder just trying to cross and, and trying to get food. And, and it, it's just incredible. And I remember one day when I was there and I was seeing this crowd because I was, I was at a high vantage point. I could see the whole crowd. I thought to myself, what would be the weight of all these people's sins? What would be the weight of it? If I could measure it, if I could, if I could, if I could put it on a scale, what would that be like? Certainly, my own sins crush me. And can you imagine 10, 15, 20,000, 50,000 people and all of their sins? Can you imagine that? How about a billion? How about what some estimates are, a hundred billion people who have ever lived? All of their sins. And yet, there is one who has borne our sins. And his name is Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He bore our sins in his body. So that it is prophesied of him in Isaiah 53 that it crushed him. And it pleased Yahweh to crush his son. He was crushed. Not so that we can be pointing fingers at our brothers and judging unrighteously, but rather so that we who have been forgiven much, much, you fail to recognize how much you've been forgiven. Because you've been forgiven much, therefore forgive much. Forgive is the principle. What you put into your walk, what you put into your life for forgiveness is what you will ultimately reap. If you do not forgive, do not expect to be forgiven. For even the Lord Jesus Christ says elsewhere in Scripture that if you do not forgive, your Father who is in heaven will not forgive you. Don't hold on to the poison of unforgiveness. Unforgiveness is like having poison in one's hand and, 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 and then squeezing it. Eventually it's going to get messy. Eventually it's going to get all over you. But rather what God calls you to do is to release and hand it over to him because he's paid for it. He's paid the penalty. He's paid for your sins. He's paid for your unforgiveness. He's paid for the sins of the one who's offended you and he has paid your sins as well. Therefore, focus on forgiveness. For then Jesus goes on to say this magnificent word again in verse 38. He says, give and it will be given to you. And then he says, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. If you're following along in the teaching, the second part, if we forgive, then it will be credited back to you. But the same is true of condemning. For again, what the scripture says, if, if you forgive, you'll be forgiven, but if you condemn, you'll also be condemned. 
And then he says again, give and it will be what? Given to you. Do you see the principle that is at play here? When we sacrificially give and obey God, he will gracefully give more. There's a great quote by Winston, Winston Churchill. He said this, We make a living by what we get. We make a life by what we give. You make a living by what you do, by what you give, by what, by what you uh, acquire. You know, if you are a, a, in a trade, if you are in technology, you can acquire much wealth. And oftentimes when you meet someone in the street, the first part of a conversation is, what do you do? Because what you do often is part of your identity. And so as Churchill says, we make a living by what we get, but we make a life by what we give. Pointing to a life of selflessness, of giving, of sacrifice. And as Christ so beautifully puts it in this way, he says, give and it will be given to you. What kind of life do you want to lead? What kind of life do you want to have? What kind of life do you want to be remembered for? As one who took and never gave or one who gave and maybe never had? It is oftentimes better to be in poverty and giving than it is to be rich and not have anything to give. We are called to be selfless in our giving, in our time, and in the things that we do. Again, what we put into things is what we will ultimately get out of it. And there's a spiritual principle at play here, even in terms of giving, financial giving, that is. This is often exploited by false teachers and false prosperity preachers who say that if you, if you just send this church a certain amount of money, God is going is to bless you with more. He's just, so if you send the church a $1,000 check, you can expect $2,000 coming your way. Is that what Jesus is pointing out to us? By no means. By no means. But if we give, Christ will richly bless us. And that blessing may not come in a form of a $2,000 check, but instead of a transformed heart, of a heart that is humbly relying upon the Savior for sustenance, for daily bread. Not that we should give at, the, at, the, uh, at our own harm so that we have nothing, but if you look at Scripture, we are called to give everything to Christ. And so we are called to depend upon Him, to lean upon Him, to give, and it will be given to you. Again, following along in the notes, give and it will be given to you. And the next portion of this is this, this great saying again. He says, good measure, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For if the measure you use it, it will be measured back to you. Again, what we see in this selection of Scripture this morning in this great Sermon of the Mount are some verses that are often misrepresented and misused in such ways to exploit people and exploit the soul. On one hand, we start with judge not and you will not be judged. That sounds great on the surface. Don't judge people. Only God can judge me. And by the way, that statement should send a shiver down the spine of every sinner. We usually hear that in the context of allow me, allow me to live my life the way I want to and don't interfere. And then... Because only at the end of the day, only God can judge me. 
But that really should send a shiver down the spine of every single person. Yes, the fact that God is the ultimate judge is of great significance. And you may not accept the judgment that comes from other humans, but be assured, the judgment that comes from God is sure and it is final. Therefore, yes, know that God is the judge and be fearful and repent. It's like that saying that is used, not as much now, but it was fairly popular a couple years ago, and it's YOLO. What does it stand for? YOLO? You only live once. That's for the old people. That's where you get it now. It's an acronym. All right? You only live once. And the people usually say that right before they do something really stupid. Okay? And they say it as if it's permission. Oh, you only live once. And yeah, again, like that statement should send a shiver down your spine. You only live once. Therefore, use the time wisely. Invest in things that are good and spiritual. And this is, again, the heart of what Jesus is getting to here in these verses. Judge not, you will not be judged. Condemn not, you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. Good measure. Press down. Shaken together. Running over. What we put into your lap. What does this mean? What is the good measure? The good measure is simply this. It's the portion you give. In any given of these spiritual activities, whether it's judgment, whether it's condemnation, whether it's forgiveness, whether it's giving, your portion, whatever you put in, is that which Jesus calls the good measure. What you put into it, your portion. I want you to write this in the notes. The portion you give. And he goes on to say, good measure, press down. What does this mean that it's pressed down? This good measure is now pressed down. What is this? And it's also shaken together. This, this is the pressure and trials of life. Why don't you write that in there? It's the pressure and trials of life. This good measure that if you're following God's word, if you're following God's principles, and this good measure is, put, is poured in, it says it's then pressed down. Have you ever been pressed down? Have you ever been oppressed? doesn't feel good, does it? I was the youngest of three children. My brothers and sisters were uh, seven, eight years older than me. I knew what it was like to be pressed down. Because when mom and dad went out on a date or were out of the house, one of the things I always remember was my sister running, and she would put her knees right on my chest. And I'd be like, oh, I was just in agony. I didn't like being pressed down. I don't think you like it either. Sometimes life is hard. Sometimes life is unfair. Sometimes things just don't make sense. Life will often press you down. Sometimes your life may get a little shaken. Things may get turned upside down unexpectedly and quickly because that's the nature of life. Things may sometimes be pressed down, shaken in such a way that we don't know what to do. But I assure you this, brothers and sisters, that your portion under pressure will result in God's blessing running and overflowing in your life. This is what we see from the text. This good measure that's pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. I'm not a preacher that uses props often, but I was thinking of using a prop today. Okay? 
But I'll just tell you what it is. That way I don't have to bring it. But think of a bowl, a transparent bowl for a moment. And let's think of pouring something in like, like rice. You pour a bowl, a basin with rice. And if you want to make more room, what do you do? You press it down. Sometimes you've got to shake it a little bit in order to make some more room, in order to make some more space. Again, pressure, shaking, trials, all these things that are necessary for what? So that we make more room for God's blessing in our life. And we can make enough room, so much so, that as we continue to pour, the blessing of God may overflow out of the bowl into our laps. That's the hope. That's what God's word is pointing us to. This good measure that's pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. What's the purpose of this? Jesus clarifies. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. So all the things that we just looked over, judge, you will not be judged. Condemn not, you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. For with the measure, portion you use, it will be measured back to you. So think of the ruler by which you will now use to examine your life and others. Are you using the same standard, the same ruler, to measure your life and others? Or do you have a different set of standards for you and everyone else? Because when we examine ourselves, are we not more permissive? Well, you just don't understand my situation. Well, it's just that it's, com it's complex. Well, you bet it is. But just remember, the measure you used will be measured back to you. Therefore, be careful with how you judge. Be careful with how you live. Be careful of how you condemn. Be careful of harboring unforgiveness. Be careful and examine your giving for that good pressure, that good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, we put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. If you're following along in the notes, again, the good measure is the portion you give. Pressed down, shaken together equals the pressures and trials of life. For if the measure you give, it will be measured back to you. You may ask yourself this question this morning. Why does God allow my life to be pressed down? Why does God allow my life to be shaken at times? Here's the answer. To make more room for his blessings. To make more room for his blessings. This is why James can say, count it all joy, my brothers, when you encounter various trials of different kinds. Why? Why joy? Because when I'm being pressed down, when I'm being shaken, God is making more room for blessing. And don't confuse this with a prosperity gospel. That blessing always equals material blessings or goods. No, 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 no. I'm talking about the riches of his blessings in Christ. The blessings that come from knowing him, being found in him, not having a righteousness of our own, but that righteousness that comes through faith in Christ. That's the blessing we're talking about. And it may sometimes result in physical, financial blessings. Those are not bad things per se. But brothers and sisters, the true blessing is the blessing of knowing him, being found in him, and being in union with him. It's being pressed down and shaken together. God allows these things so that you may depend more wholly upon him. And yet this word, this, this, this preaching continues in verse 39 where Jesus now gives a parable by saying this, Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? 
A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Now he says this. I want you to write this in the notes. Do not be blind to your own faults. Don't be blind to your own faults, brothers and sisters, while judging others. Or what will happen according to Christ? You both will fall into the pit. If you have one centered for another and a standard for yourself, it doesn't seem fair, does it? We see this even now in our government, where there seems to be a measure used for one set of person or political parties and another. And people see that clear delineation, clear distinction between how the justice system is used against one and another, and it causes disparity, it causes anger, causes wrath among the people. To have two sets of justice is not good for a people. One set of justice for, who, for both parties, whoever they may be. Because what rightly what we discern when we see such a thing is what Christ later points out as hypocrisy. And nothing sets the human soul more ablaze than when they see hypocrisy. When they see a hypocrite. Therefore, again, Jesus says, if the blind lead the blind, will they not both fall into the pit? Don't be blind to your own sins. Don't be blind to your own faults while judging others, or you both will fall into that pit. Jesus then goes on to say this, a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone when he is fully trained will be like his teacher. I want you to write this in the notes. A disciple when fully trained will be like his teacher. And who is our teacher? But the great rabbi himself, Jesus Christ, our Lord, he is the great rabbi, the great teacher of his people. He is the one to whom we look to as our, as our example in all things. And Jesus was not new to judgment, nor condemnation, nor forgiveness. These are all things that he sets a model for us in Scripture. When he judges rightly, and he also judges with compassion. So much so that when Jesus brought judgment upon people, he beckons and calls them to repentance. He gives the room and opportunity for the trials and the hurt and the pain to turn into a triumph. That's what God is calling us to do today now, is to examine our own lives, our own faults, and see where is the story and arc of redemption in my life? What is God doing in my life currently pressing me down, shaking me in order so I may depend on him greater. Could be an illness. Could be financial woes. Could be housing problems. Could be a host of things that God is using to beckon you to his call. And now the great, the great text, the great uh, word that we have so often heard in church circles in verse 41, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye? but do not notice the log that is in your own eye. So in other words, Jesus is saying, why do you not recognize the disparity between the measure that you are using on someone else and the measure that you're using for yourself? Because again, it's easy to point out someone else's flaws. It's hard to examine your own. It's hard. God's law, God's word is like a mirror. And when we come to it, we examine ourselves. We see ourselves for what we truly are. And it can be difficult sometimes. It can sometimes be ugly. 
it can sometimes be scary to examine who you are in light of God's word. Therefore, it may be easier, instead of taking responsibility, to then look at others. Because when we sin, doesn't the temptation arise to say, well, at least I'm not like that guy. At least I'm not that guy. At least I'm not Hitler, right? Like, that's the standard? Is that, is that the measuring rod now? You're not Hitler? Well, actually, you are, in a sense. Not endorse this person for theological reasons, but he has a lot of good uh, things in the philosophical space. Jordan Peterson said, there's a little Hitler inside of all of us. There's a little Hitler inside of all of us. You think Hitler was unique? He is what man is unleashed of his conscience. And we're all not that far from that in reality. We all have a little Hitler inside of us. Fast forward 10, 15 years and I'm running for governor. This will probably be used against me, but that's okay. That's okay. The reality is this, brothers and sisters. We all have issues in our lives that need to be examined rightly under Scripture. Don't have a different standard for yourself than what you will have for others. Learn from the great teacher. Learn from Jesus Christ because the hope of the Christian is ultimately to be like the teacher, to be like Jesus. And this is our Christian hope. Why don't you write that in the notes if you haven't already. This is our Christian hope, is to be like Jesus. So we judge like Jesus judged. We forgive like Jesus forgives. We give how Jesus gives. He is the standard. He is the ruler. And it's what we live by. It's what we, we try to strive to be like Jesus. So then when he says, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? He's not saying, don't point out errors in, your own, in other people's lives, but rather what he's saying is examine yourself first. Examine yourself first. Come to the mirror of God's law and say, what am I doing? That needs to be examined. What, 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 what speck or log do I have in my eye that needs to be removed in order for me to be effective in ministering to others who are hurting and harmed? Examine yourself first. And he goes on to say this in verse 42. How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take the speck out of your, uh, that is in your eye when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? It's easy, again, to examine someone else's fault, someone else's sins, but we haven't come to the table to deal with ours first. And Jesus says this very sharp word, you hypocrite. You hypocrite. Isn't it, doesn't it sting when you're arguing with someone and someone points something out in your life and they say, you hypocrite? Doesn't that sting? Doesn't that hurt because the inconsistency of your life is being pointed out the flaws that log that's in your eyes being pointed out it's not fun it hurts it cuts deep and let me tell you something we're all hypocrites i was talking to a roman catholic uh, about a week or two ago and they said the reason they don't go to church is because there's too many hypocrites i said it doesn't stop you from going to walmart there's a lot of hypocrites there. It doesn't stop you from going to the bank. A lot of hypocrites there. In reality, 
We're all hypocrites. If we've ever done anything inconsistent with the measure, with the ruler, with the standard, then we're a hypocrite. And Jesus came to save hypocrites from their own hypocrisy. You hypocrite, Jesus says, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. So it doesn't say, hey, if you have a log in your eye, you can never say anything that is right. It doesn't exclude people who have the log from ultimately judging rightly at the end, but rather first take care of your own business. Take care of your own walk. Take care of your spiritual status before Christ. And then you'll be more effective in ministering to the hearts of others. So before calling out a fellow believer, be sure to examine your own sin. I want you to write that in the notes. Before calling out a fellow believer, be sure to examine your own sin. First, lest we become the hypocrite. Well, brothers and sisters, like I've already pointed out, we've all played the hypocrite. We all have a form and share of hypocrisy in our own lives. But there's good news for you. There's good news for the hypocrite. It's not just condemnation, but there is forgiveness for you. And there's a call for you to share in the good measure, knowing that your life too, at times, will be pressed down, at times, shaken together, at times, you will find yourself under pressure, under trial, under tribulation, but know this, there's hope and there's light at the end of the tunnel, and the light that shines through that tunnel is Jesus, our great teacher and the great example of the faith. And the hope is this, that you repent, turn to Jesus, trust in Him and Him alone for salvation. And the Bible says that you will be transferred from death to life. And that's the great hope, is victory over death. And we will never have victory over death if we continue to have our share in hypocrisy, unjust judgment, condemnation, but rather when we let these things go, and see the forgiveness that he offers us freely through the shed blood of his cross. And that we become conduits of this grace, of this forgiveness. So that when we give, it will be given back to you. So that when we have this good measure that's pressed down, shaken together, it will then overflow into our lap. For with the measure that you use in life, brothers and sisters, it will be measured back to you. Therefore, love and share in this grace and this common goodness of God so that it may overflow not only in your lap, but in the laps of those around you. May you know him today, this great Savior, the great shepherd of the sheep, even Jesus Christ, who beckons you today. Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I shall give you rest. Yes, even rest for your souls. Trust in Christ today. Let me pray. Father, we come before you in the name that is above every name, the name that is above every preacher, every Christian, every Hindu, every Muslim, every world ruler, every president, every Congress, every legislature, this great and grand name of Jesus, the true King of kings and Lord of lords and the ruler of the kings of this age, we come to you now, Lord, 
asking that you would grant in us that which is pleasing your sight, namely this, that we would not judge unrighteously, but rather righteously, not from the appearance, but from the heart. Lord, that you would help us even now, Father, in the name of Jesus, to not only not judge unrighteously, Lord, but that we would not condemn unto our own condemnation. We pray, Father, also that you would help us, even when it is hard, even when it's unfathomable, even when it is difficult to forgive, for you have freely forgiven us in Jesus. And Lord, help us, Lord, to be selfless as we give unto others, as we give unto the cause of your people and of this church and of the gospel mission, so that we too may one day receive. Father, help us in all these things and more to remember the good measure, the standard, the portion of Christ, and that we would follow in his footsteps as he is the great teacher, the great rabbi, the great shepherd of his sheep, we beckon, who beckons us even now, Lord, in this life in which we are pressed, shaken, to trust in him, to love him, to be found in him, so that the grace, love, and kindness of Christ may overflow from our laps to others, from his lap into ours, for the glory of his name and the eventual redemption, not only of our souls, but also of the body, as we hope and look forward to a world without pain, without suffering, without death, without mourning or outcry, a world without end, unto the glory of Jesus Christ, the King of kings. Amen.